0: Why do you need State Farm renter's insurance? Because it helps protect the stuff landlords don't. Like maybe your furniture that got drenched by a broken pipe. Or maybe somebody broke into your apartment and stole some stuff. Your stuff's worth it. And for pennies a day, you can make sure those things are protected with State Farm renter's insurance. Find an agent or get a quote at statefarm.com. Hi, I'm Ariel Dimross, and this is Reset. Today on the show, we're talking about Uber, which has officially been around in the U.S. for 10 years now. Seems absurd, right? When Uber launched in San Francisco in 2009, it started something that ultimately ended up changing not just how we get around, but also how entire cities and businesses operate. Now, for the first time... Uber has released a safety report documenting what this game-changing app has meant for its users in 2017 and 2018. And a big part of that report involves a discussion of sexual assault. So heads up, we will be talking about that in this episode. Because the numbers are worth spelling out.
1: Let me give you a few of the highlights. 515 incidents of rape or attempted rape last year. Nine people murdered, 58 people Killed in crashes now over the full two years that it tracked these incidents, nearly 6,000 reports of sexual abuse. And this is what the CEO of Uber,
0: Dara Khosrowshahi, had to say about that.
2: Now that's within the context of billions of rides and 99.9% of our rides uh, start and finish without any kind of incident. But for us, it represents that as a company, if we are going to stand for safety we have to first be transparent.
0: To be clear, the report isn't just a first for Uber, it's a first for an entire sector. Because Uber's competitors have yet to follow suit, which also means that there are very few data points to compare this report to. And being the first means that Uber was also able to define what a report like this should look like, which caused some consternation among tech reporters, like Kate Conger of the New York Times.
2: I do think that the way that the report is written is a little frustrating because, you know, I understand why Uber wants to emphasize that they think 99% of these rides are safe. But in reading it, it does feel in some cases like it downplays the victim's experience.
0: Can you uh, tell me a little bit more about that? Why do you feel that way?
2: You know, there's a couple of things about it that frustrated me a little bit. I mean, if you're reading through this study that they have produced— you get to this section on murder, and it says very clearly, you know, nine people were killed in 2018. You get to the section mm-hmm. on car crashes, it says very clearly, this is the number of crash fatalities. And then right below that, you get to the section on sexual assault, and it just is emphasizing the rate of incidents and how safe this is. And, you know, most of these rides are very safe, and you don't actually find uh-huh. these numbers until almost the very end of the report i think they're they're stuck in somewhere around page 50 or 60 and and so there's this feeling like the company is a little bit more focused in the way the report is written on defending its reputation versus just disclosing what these numbers are and letting people talk about them you know and i don't, i actually don't think these numbers look that bad for them if you consider the the scale at which they operate mm-hmm. So I think this was sort of a missed opportunity for them to just kind of own that and say, you know what, these are the numbers. This is what we're going to do about it. And we're going to take these mm-hmm. these these victims seriously.
0: OK, so you look at a lot of reports like these. How does Uber's report compare to other kinds of transparency reports in the tech industry? We don't have a direct analogy because
2: no one else has done a report like this, right? But we can look at, you know, the transparency reports that other tech companies make about take down requests from law enforcement about diversity in their hiring. You know, Facebook, for instance, they present a report about how frequently they take down images of child exploitation. Mm -hmm. That number is presented right at the top of the report. They're not trying to bury it or hide it or talk about the rate of how many posts it is versus everything that's posted on Facebook. They just give you the number. And it's, it's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to write about. But like I said earlier, you know, they drop these numbers way down in the report and then they get into this section at the end where, you know, throughout the report they're talking about, we wanted to believe everyone who reported. We want to believe victims. We're trying to do this in a victim centric way. And then the end of the report is an appendix where they said, well, what if we believed fewer victims? What if we counted less of these?
0: Wait, seriously?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is like the hold on a second.
0: I'll find it. Because that's a really weird question to put at the end of a report like that.
2: I did some really, like, grumpy tweets about it. <laughs> 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 they get down to the end of the report and they take sort of sample groups of 100 reports at a time and run them through these alternative standards mm-hmm. that sort of knock away a lot of the the cases that they've counted. Um, so, you know, one of the alternative standards is, whether or not a support agent communicated with the victim following the initial report. Um, and that, you know, if if they did it that way, it would reduce the number of rapes that they had included in this report.
0: Meaning that if that you would only count a rape if somebody from Uber had then been able to talk to a victim after the assault.
2: Yes. So they've run through sort of these alternative standards that they didn't end up using, but, you know, could be considered and. I read that and I just think it's I just think it's crazy. I think it's absolutely crazy to think that, you know, you have someone who's gone through this really traumatic situation, who's gone to the trouble of writing into a customer support agent about their experience and then to say, no, no, not only are you maybe going through law enforcement interviews, maybe dealing with a lawyer, doing all these other things, maybe, you know, Get, trying to get medical attention, trying to seek medical care for what you've been through, trying to talk to counselors, but you also have to schedule a follow-up call with our customer support team. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and and they didn't end up going this way, but I, I look at this and I'm like, why is this in a report that says it's about believing victims? Why would you then end it on an appendix that says, well, if we believed fewer victims,
0: our numbers sure would look a lot better. One of the major sort of sections in the report is on sexual assaults. Were the victims largely riders or or were they drivers as well? It depends on on
2: the type of assault. So I think overall, the numbers are actually pretty split in terms of riders and drivers being assaulted, uh, which I think may be surprising to some people. I think riders have a little bit more voice in these situations to go to the media and and speak out about what they've experienced. Drivers are so scared to criticize Uber because they're worried about being Mm -hmm. deactivated. So I think, you know, when safety incidents happen to drivers, they're less likely to speak out publicly and we're less likely to hear their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, When you get to incidences of rape, though, that is skewed very heavily towards the riders. I believe it's um, 92%. Of the rapes reported are riders, and then there's a a chunk of that additional percentage that are uh, what Uber calls guest riders. So if you and I get in an Uber together and something happens to you, you would be considered not the rider, but the guest.
0: So Uber said that law enforcement was involved in 37 percent of the 464 rapes reported to the company in 2017 and 2018. Whose responsibility is it to report these incidents to law enforcement?
2: I think that reporting to law enforcement really needs to be a victim's choice. And Uber has taken heat about taking that stance. You know, they've said we're not going to proactively turn these cases over to law enforcement. And, you know, they've been criticized for that. I think it's probably the right thing to Mm -hmm. do. Um, you know, we know that law enforcement has had issues with the way that they investigate sexual assault over the years that, you know, they have not always had the propensity to believe victims. And, you know, I think it should be up to a victim what they want to do if they want to pursue a law enforcement option. If all they want is to report it to Uber and get that driver off the platform and then go about their day, you know, that should be up to them.
0: Right. So. One of the things that was really interesting for me in reading this study was the emphasis that Uber put on um, its use of background checks for drivers. Uber seemed to suggest that their background check process was extensive. I'm wondering, though, if more than half of these assaults aren't being reported to law enforcement, what does that tell us about the strength of the background check system in general?
2: The background check thing again one of the things that uber has taken heat on for years and years and years is the fact that they don't include biometrics in their background check so there's no fingerprint option that really? they're that they're using no hmm. they don't do a fingerprint background check they never have and it's something that you know people have been on them for years and years about trying to do this the state regulator here in california says that they don't think that the fingerprint background check is necessary. There are a lot of people who have represented victims in these cases who disagree. And there are people on Capitol Hill who want the fingerprint. um, And Uber has chosen not to do it. The way that they background check, uh, they look at a driver's driving history, and then they look into uh, public records and court records to see, you know, if they have any convictions. Um, And they do that on a rolling basis. So they're trying to catch any kind of... um, new incidents that occur. And so what I think the workaround that Uber is talking about doing for this is sharing a list of deactivated drivers with other ride hailing companies so that, you know, if if an incident is reported to them about a driver, they don't take it to law enforcement, but they know who that driver is. They'll turn around to Lyft and say, hey, you know, we have a credible report of sexual assault against this driver. You might want to consider deactivating them as well.
0: And how should I think about Uber wanting to do this? Because my reaction to that is, why weren't they doing this earlier? You
2: know, that's a very good question. I mean, I think the history of this company and a lot of tech companies, I think, is just they they didn't anticipate some of the real-world risks that they were introducing with their products. You know, and this when this rolled out, your option is if anything happened to you, during an Uber ride, you could leave that driver one star. <laughs> that was sort of your recourse. And, right, you know, is that sufficient to protect against all of the kind of real world harms that happens when you stick strangers together? I don't think so.
0: Okay. And by the way, have do any other ride sharing apps do this currently?
2: No, there's no sharing of the driver information between the companies at this point.
0: How should somebody hearing this take in the fact that there is no other report to compare this to we are talking about rides we are talking about people getting in cars with people that they do not know is it weird that there hasn't been a safety report like this before i think it is
2: weird that that no one has really looked at this in a comprehensive way before but you know i do i do give uber credit for doing it i think you know especially given sort of the the PR beating that they've been through in the last couple of years, I can understand looking at these numbers and being like, these are not going to look good for us. Let's never talk about them in public. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they have kind of tried to focus on safety, that they've put, I think, you know, almost two years of effort into producing this report and counting these cases, they do get credit for that. And now this is out there and creates a benchmark. So when other companies hopefully start to come forward about these numbers, you have something to compare it to.
0: So if I'm a person who uses Uber on a regular basis or Lyft, how should I be thinking about this report? I I can't help but find it just really hard to sort of figure out, should I feel safer now? Should I feel less safe? That's a good question. And, you know,
2: as a rider, I don't think it changes my sense of safety very much. It does give a sense to me, that Uber is at least interested in looking at this issue and trying to figure out what to do about it. But, you know, you also have to think about what it took in Uber's history to kind of force them to this point, right? You know, there's so many of these sexual assault cases, some of them very high profile. Uber went through an incredibly damaging year in 2017 with a number of safety issues. And, you know, it took an immense amount of public pressure and the ouster of their CEO to get them to this point where they said, OK, like maybe let's take a clear look at safety. And I think that's an issue at Uber and throughout the tech industry, again, of these companies not really thinking through the real world implications of what they're doing and only looking at the cool tech. You know, this is also, I suspect, a problem in a bunch of this sort of so-called gig economy companies. You know, I'm sure that food delivery mm-hmm. services have this problem. Airbnb has safety issues all the time. Yes. And, and I don't think that any of these companies have really started to grapple with that yet. Like this, I hope, is the beginning of that. But, you know, it, it's taken a very long time to get here. And a lot of these companies have been around for nearly a decade at this point.
0: So that's the takeaway from Uber's safety report. And since its release, it's caused a stir because riders are worried about their safety. But what hasn't received as much attention is what this report means for Uber's drivers. After the break, my discussion with a researcher who spent a lot of time talking to Uber drivers about the risks they run when they just try to do their jobs. This is Reset. I have recently started receiving uh, quite a few holiday cards from friends and family. And it's been really nice because I get a bunch of updates about what they've been up to. I get to laugh at their crazy holiday sweaters. And I get to check out their haircuts and just see, you know, what do they look like right now? I personally really, really enjoy that. So if you haven't gotten around to sending holiday cards yet, you can still do that. There is still time. You can do it at vistaprint.com. And actually, it doesn't take much time at all. You can go on the website. They have a bunch of designs that you can pick from. And your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or they'll make it right either by reprinting your order or by offering you a refund. So this season, make people around you happy by going to Vistaprint.com with up to 50% off all holiday cards and photo calendars, plus great deals on photo gifts at Vistaprint.com. Just enter the promo code RESET50. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code RESET50. The offer expires on January 5th. If you have a business on the side, you probably want to market it. You probably want to get the word out and and just help people understand what you're trying to do. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Whatever it is, you can jumpstart your business and your brand by building your audience using the all-in-one marketing platform from MailChimp. It has everything you need all in one place to give your new business the strongest start with the right marketing. When you're ready to get your hustle off the ground... Start with MailChimp. MailChimp makes it easy because it offers things like a website builder and scheduled social posts and a marketing CRM tool that helps give your brand an online presence and keeps your followers engaged and give you more time to focus on the business itself. So if you're ready to be your own boss, but you're still asking yourself, now what? Start with MailChimp. That's what. Learn more about the all-in-one marketing platform at MailChimp.com.
1: There is a problem with sexual misconduct in the gig economy, that this utopia of peer-to-peer work is not the utopia that they've made it out to be, and that this is something that needs to be addressed, that these workers are vulnerable.
0: Alexandria Ravenel is a sociologist at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and the author of the book Hustle and Gig, Struggling and Surviving in the Sharing Economy. In her book, she writes about how the sharing economy is an umbrella term that includes everything from Craigslist and eBay to Uber and TaskRabbit. And the gig economy is what happens when a person signs up to perform services for other people through an app. That means the dog walker who uses Rover and the TaskRabbit who puts together IKEA furniture and the driver for Uber or Lyft. Alexandria used interviews with gig economy workers to illustrate how vulnerable these workers are because of the nature of the gig economy itself. So I asked Alexandria what she thought of Uber's safety report.
1: So the Uber Safety Report is a start. Uh, about a year ago, Uber said that they were going to be issuing this report in 2019. And when they talked about the report in 2018, they said it was going to have more than 20 different categories of sexual miscontact, everything from leering all the way up to non-consensual touching and non-consensual penetration. And the report that they just released only has five categories in it. They've left out the leering, they've left out the propositioning. And in my research, that's the type of thing that happens, is highly prevalent in the gig economy.
0: Is sexual misconduct more likely in sort of a gig economy job than in other workplaces?
1: We do know from some studies done of freelancers that they seem to have a very high level of sexual harassment, in part because anything sort of goes in the gig economy. Workers have told me that it's like a jungle out there. It's like the Wild West. There are no protections for the workers. And we also have the companies presenting this as a peer-to-peer environment. And so Workers aren't going in prepared to experience sexual harassment. They're not expecting it to happen. And so when it happens, it ends up being very surprising for them.
0: Have you actually heard of of specific stories of this nature?
1: So I'm doing follow-up interviews right now with the workers I interviewed for uh, Hustle and Gig. I have a TaskRabbit worker who uh, was hired to take photographs for somebody. Their LinkedIn profile seems like a really simple job. Takes the photographs outside. The woman says, oh, you know what? This isn't really what I wanted. These are actually for my dating profile. Okay. Brings him back to her apartment. Turns out she wants boudoir photos. Oh, actually, turns out she wants him And then she throws herself on him and starts very much non-consensual touching. And then I have other workers who told me about being propositioned for threesomes and cooking in a client's home while the client has very loud sex in the other room because they feel like they can have an exhibitionist type of situation.
0: You know, it's interesting because... I know a lot of people who work in the restaurant industry, and a lot of these stories are kind of, they sound familiar to me. But the difference here is that we're talking about very intimate places. We're talking about people's homes. We're talking about cars, places that are outside of view. Does that play a role?
1: That absolutely plays a role. When you are operating behind closed doors in a private location and anything goes, you are incredibly vulnerable. And you're even more vulnerable because in the gig economy, these workers are rated and reviewed. And so if you find yourself in a bad situation, you have to figure out a way to get out of that situation to protect yourself and also protect your reputation on that platform. So the photographer, for instance, who finds himself being touched by his client, has to come up with a nice way to let her down easy so that she doesn't ding him on the app. And so he doesn't have her calling the app and complaining about him, and he ends up being deactivated.
0: Okay. So when I have a problem at work, I can go to my boss, I can go to HR. A lot of these companies talk about drivers being able to sort of be their own boss. So who's responsible for keeping riders and drivers safe?
1: So, yes, the all these platforms talk about entrepreneurship for the masses, and right. it's going to be fantastic. And a lot of these workers would really like an open-door HR policy. Um, accountability. According to the platforms, the drivers are accountable and the passengers are accountable and the platforms are not really accountable because they're just a marketplace and they're just bringing people together and they're not in the car. But I think that the platforms really should be held accountable for this. You know, if it wasn't for Uber, if it wasn't for Lyft, we wouldn't have people stepping into the car of a stranger. We wouldn't have people allowing strangers to get into their car.
0: So what does giving protections to Uber drivers look like? Does that necessarily mean not treating them as contractors anymore?
1: I think so. I think actually that would be the easiest solution to start treating these drivers and other gig workers as W 2 employees. You know, one of the things that I say in Hustling Gig is that we've seen a rolling back of generations of workplace protections through this move to independent contractors. The gig economy is truly a movement forward to the past. We have workers who, if they get injured on the job, they're on their own. They're not getting uh, contributions to Social Security. They don't qualify for any type of paid time off, family leave, sick leave, et cetera. Essentially, they're back in the same situation that their great-great-grandparents were in, in the factories and in the slaughterhouses. The image that comes to mind so often when I'm doing this research is actually an image out of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, where all the workers, Run the risk of getting injured, and yet they're still clamoring at the gates because we've seen wage stagnation and they are desperate for additional sources of income. So, where does the government's responsibility lie in all of this? So, regulation's not always the answer, but some regulation is definitely the answer here.
0: Definitely. Like you are certain that this is the way.
1: Yes, I do not trust the platforms to self-regulate. Um To be fair, I think that's not just the platforms. I think that we need government to take an active role on this. We need to see uh, more cracking down on misclassification of workers. We need to see workers being given workplace protections classified as W-2 employees. We need to see more attention paid to how the companies are protecting their workers. The reaction to the Uber safety report largely had to do with riders. People
0: were really concerned about what it means to be a vulnerable person in the backseat of one of these cars.
1: When you look at that reaction, what comes to mind? If you are vulnerable as a passenger getting into the car of a stranger, and you do that maybe once, twice a day, a couple of times a week, how much more vulnerable is the driver who has their back to the passenger and who is doing this for hours of each and every week. And they are out there with no protections and no one looking out for them. What these writers have experienced,
0: some of them have experienced rape, some of them have experienced terrible sexual assaults. These things are are horrible and really serious and important. I am curious, though, in reading this report and seeing that both Riders and drivers are experiencing some of these, of these cases of sexual assault. What does it tell you about society that what we are focusing on is specifically riders,
1: more so than drivers? It tells us that these drivers are considered expendable by not just the platforms, but also by some of the customers and that they are invisible, that no one is really paying attention to the challenges that they experience. Because the challenges that workers experience in the gig economy are huge and they are astounding. And they include sexual assault and sexual harassment and involvement in criminal activity and physical injury and then even economic ruin if they get deactivated from these platforms after investing time or money in building a life for themselves on these platforms. You know, the the work of these workers is so dangerous. And they also run the risk of getting sort of stuck in the gig economy because it's difficult if you've been driving Uber for four or five years to then go back into the job market and try to get a job that will let you use your college degree in English or do something that will allow you to move into another occupation entirely. Alexandria Ravenel
0: is a sociologist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and the author of the book, Hustle and Gig, Struggling and Surviving in the Sharing Economy.
1: Alexandria, thank you. Thank you.
0: This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zimros. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at fox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It seriously really helps us. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds.